This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, the U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, has just returned to the United States after a short uh, two- or three-day visit to China. This is the first visit by U.S. Secretary of State for five years, and it was due to take place several months ago, but a Chinese, what the Americans regarded as a Chinese spy balloon, was shot down, and that caused a little... Furore between the two nations and all is well now. Blinken came back. He met President Xi Jinping, which was not assured. But the significance of this in a world where the gap between democracies and authoritarian regimes is growing and hardening and becoming more dangerous, this is a very significant meeting. And it's a pleasure to welcome Back to the stand, Ian Williams, who's an author and a journalist. He was a foreign correspondent for Channel 4 News and NBC in Russia and Asia, reporting from all across China. His latest book is called The Fire of the Dragon, China's New Cold War, and it's on the shortlist for the Orwell Prize for Political Writing, the winner of which will be announced uh, very soon. He's also won an Emmy and BAFTA Awards for his reporting from the Serb detention camps during the war in Bosnia. Ian, this is surely a very significant encounter between the US Secretary of State and the Chinese. I think it's significant, and its main significance is that it took place at all. Um, I think if you look at the achievements in terms of tackling some of the many issues that divide China and the United States, well, you'd be hard-pressed to really find many signs of progress. But given the state at which relations had come and given the almost freeze in level, in top-level contacts between the two governments, its principal achievement appears to be that it took place at all. And in fact, um, Joe Biden appeared to be enormously relieved that it had. His first comments were, um, we're on the right trail. He did a hell of a job. Now, it's not very clear what that job uh, 
mounted to other than going to Beijing and sitting down uh, with his opposite number, number Chin Gang, and of course w w with Xi Jinping himself. But I think there will be a lot of people who've been increasingly worried about the growing tensions between Washington and Beijing who will be breathing a little bit easier right now. But of course, it doesn't tackle some of the more fundamental problems that, that divide them. No, and uh, one of those would be Taiwan, and there doesn't appear to be much room for maneuver there. But it, it was interesting what uh, Xi Jinping said about the importance of a stable relationship between China and the United States, adding that the two countries had a responsibility to deal with each other responsibly, whether China and the U.S. can get along correctly has a bearing on the future and destiny of humankind. And not in the not-too-distant past, I think he said that there would be no winners in nuclear confrontation. Nevertheless, China is supporting Russia to some considerable extent, but not with arms, we understand, in its invasion of Ukraine. So Taiwan, I suppose, is the big issue, Ian, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think there are multiple issues there. Taiwan, of course, um, Beijing angry at what it sees as greater American political and material support for Taiwan. The Americans extremely worried by level, levels of aggression um, by Beijing towards the island that we, we haven't seen before and a real concern in in Washington that Beijing may be preparing to invade. And of course, among the many other issues we have, uh, as you mentioned, the, the tacit support by Beijing for, for Putin in, in Ukraine. We have the tech restrictions that the US has been imposing, uh, export restrictions on sensitive technology. And that's before we even get to the, uh, the, the more evergreen items of human rights abuses. Yes. Um, so there's a, there's a huge list there of issues. Uh, and the Americans have been pressing very hard. Their line all through this had been we have to put uh, a floor under this deterioration in relations. We have to put guardrails on our competition. Um, it's not to deny that there is competition and there are fundamental differences, but the American line has been, well, let's put some guardrails on it. Let's stop this from um, going out of control. I mean, we saw only earlier this month uh, almost a collision between Chinese and American warships yes. in, in, in the Taiwan Strait. And this sense that there were no channels of communication and there was a real danger of conflict even by accident. Um, yeah, and so there, two, there was two aircraft as well, a Chinese aircraft that um, came very close to an American plane, and this was in Chinese airspace, I think, or in the Taiwan Strait. Yeah, well, I think well, airspace that China claims as its own. I mean, the Americans, yes. and in, internationally, it's recognized as international airspace. Um, but, of course, China regards the South China Sea, or 90% of it, as its own property, uh, and indeed the airways above it. Um, so the, the international community would regard that as international space, whereas China has been routinely harassing what are usually described as freedom of navigation operations by the United States and, and its allies. And, yeah, they've come very close to collisions. Um, the Americans have accused China of, of being provocative and dangerous. Um, and it's significant and worrying that 
for all the sort of mood music that's come out of this meeting um, in Beijing, that they have not re-established military-to-military lines of communication, yes. uh, which the Americans were pressing for um, quite quite hard. And in fact, the, the, the China has continued to resist that. Now, in your new book, The Fire of the Dragon, China's New Cold War, what is the purpose of China's new Cold War and how is it being conducted? Well, it's being conducted in multiple ways. Uh, when I wrote the book, that subtitle was deliberately provocative because people were trying to define what this new relationship was. We've seen all sorts of uh, permutations, systemic competition, systemic rivalry, um, as if they've been bending over backwards, not to use the Cold War analogy. Um, a lot of academics would argue that there was only one Cold War, that it, it describes a distinctive time in our history and that it's wrong to use it to describe China, which is not uh, so separate from the international system as the Soviet Union was. Arguably, America, um, China, Western democracies are part of a single system the, these days. But yes. I argue that China is... Um, waging a form of Cold War with multiple two tools on multiple fronts. Uh, this ranges from cyber to the Arctic to the South China Sea um, to the Himalayas where there have been conflicts with, with India. And this is China asserting a new aggressiveness, asserting its interests uh, in a way that we haven't seen before. And Mr. Belt and Road, sorry to interrupt you, Ian. Is the Belt and Road project, which I don't fully get, but I think I know the broad outlines of it, this is influence-seeking, this is uh, internationalizing the Chinese influence diplomacy and perhaps creating dependency on China um, in places like Africa and that. Is that accurate? I think so. I mean, it, it's on, on paper, this is a... Uh, the Belt and Road is a curious creature, when you look at it, it's the term is an umbrella term that's used to describe just about everything China does internationally, just about any and every project they're involved in somehow gets the stamp of the BRI. Uh, but I think at its at its heart, this is a instrument of geopolitical engineering. It's China yes. seeking to exert its influence, economic and political, um, in all sorts of different parts of the world. Um, they're overstretched now. There are problems of, of incredible indebtedness, uh, which are impacting on Chinese banks and companies as they are on the countries which have taken out these loans. Um, and I, it is retrenching. There are issues with it. But yes, Eamon, you're right. It is best seen as a, a piece of geopolitical engineering on the part of China to extend its influence. Now, Xi Jinping's acknowledgement in his brief statement after meeting uh, Anthony Blinken seems to acknowledge that the United States and by extension the West and China need to reconcile their differences in some acceptable way. Yet, we see, I wonder what your uh, opinion is on my introduction about the growing and hardening of the gap between what's broadly the West and the freedoms and the authoritarians, not just Russia and China, but Iran and other places. 
And do you share the view of some people that Russia's intervention in Ukraine, its behavior in Ukraine, has changed the state of affairs, has changed the environment, and is really a turning point? I think it is a turning point. And I also think that Xi Jinping's idea of stabilizing the relationship is probably different from those of the United States and its Western allies. Um, I think that the Russian intervention in Ukraine has sent a severe warning to the West. It's been a jolt. It's been a wake-up yes. call about dependency, primarily dependency yes. on a tyrant. And that's not a great idea, whether that tyrant is in Moscow or Beijing. Um, in the sense, with, with, with Putin, it was all about hydrocarbons. It was the impact on the European and on the global economy. And I think a lot of companies, a lot of com countries have thought, well, the dependencies of any sort on an authoritarian regime um, bent on possible aggression against a neighbor and with increasingly aggressive behavior internationally is not a great idea. And we have to address those dependencies um, and we have to prepare ourselves for potential tension, shall we say, with, with, with authoritarian states, whether that's Russia or China. So in that sense, I think what Putin's done in Ukraine has been a wake-up call more generally about the dependence upon tyrants. Now, the period when people like Angela Merkel, I think indeed George Osborne and David Cameron, when they were first elected in 2010, the idea that trade with Russia, uh, trade with China, would create a kind of an empathy, if, if that's the right word, or certainly an accommodation, and that the authoritarians could be weaned off a little bit, and the prosperity and trade and stuff would, you'd know better than me how to express this, but that it would soften things and that it might lead to the possibility of reconciliation and, in a, in a phrase, a safer world. Is that idea up in smoke? I think it's totally up in smoke. I mean, the German phrase for it, I can't remember it in German, but the translation was tr change through trade. Yes. And the idea was that through closer economic ties, uh, you hasten the process of economic reform and political liberalization. Now, in the, whether that was in Russia, China, or elsewhere, I think that was always rather naive and more than a little bit self-serving on the part of the companies that were making a lot of money out of that trade. BMWs to China. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah, they are very beholden to China, and as are um, a lot of other Western companies who publicly will keep proclaiming their desire to maintain trade with China, but are privately scouring the world for alternative places to build their cars or, or, or whatever. But no, I, I think that we are witnessing the end of the age of naivety. Um, yes. The, the delusion is over. Uh, reality is setting forth. Uh, but what we haven't got, I don't think, is a coherent policy for dealing with that. Um, I think we've woken up. I think that uh, 
we're no, no longer delusional about what Xi Jinping and China represent, uh, but we're far from creating a, a coherent policy for dealing with him and, and with, with, with China. Yes, and in the context of Russian aggression in Ukraine, they argue, uh, Putin argues, that this is NATO aggression, that NATO broke a deal that was struck in the late uh, 1990s, that NATO would not move east as a result of the breakup of the Soviet Union. Is that true? And was there ever a deal? I don't think you could call it a deal. The the worth, what the Russians would claim that there were commitments made that NATO would not expand expand up to its borders. But I think the situation changed quite radically. And I think looking back now, looking at Eastern Europe, looking at the, 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 the Baltic states, they had the measure of Russia in a way that other Western European yes. countries didn't. And my issue, I think, with that argument, it, it implies that somehow NATO and the EU forced themselves on the East Europeans and the Baltics, um, forced them into Western economic and, and security yes. structures. The reality is that those countries uh, were more aware, I think, than the rest of us, certainly more so than, than than Britain, than Germany, than France, about the reality of Russia and, and the danger that Russia would revert to historic norm and, yes. and the danger that Russia would become aggressive again. And they were very keen. It was they who were pushing that they should become part of Western security structures Western economic structures so that they could lock in their newfound freedoms so it would give them some immunity um, if Russia returned the type, if Russia became aggressive again. And now we're seeing how right they were um, and and how important it has been that that, that NATO and the EU embraced those new countries, uh, the new members in the Baltics and, and the East. And I, so I don't really have much truck with this argument that somehow this was all provoked by, by NATO. I mean, it distracts yes. attention away from the essential aggression of Russia and particularly the aggression of, of, of Putin. And in fact, if anything, it shows how correct the, Bal- the, the, the Baltic states and East European countries yes. were to seek to have their freedoms, economic and, uh, and, 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 and political. Um, secured by membership of those bodies. Now, Ian, in terms of economics and the relationship between the US and Beijing, there's vast trillions in trade done between the two countries. Where does the balance of power lie there, if that's a sensible question to ask? And how might that affect the behavior of both parties? I think that their economies are so intertwined that if there was a major economic, if there was a major security issue, say over Taiwan, that yes. the damage to both economies would be enormous because they are dependent upon each other, but they're also highly dependent on the international financial and trade system. So there would be a lot of damage. It's probably, you know, trying to figure out who would be hurt more is probably not productive. It's better to say that they would both 
be hurt a lot. Um, but both the both China and the U.S. are looking at ways of loosening dependence upon each other. To uh, the new phrase in Europe is de-risking, which has replaced yes. uh, decoupling, which is always a little bit ugly. Um, yeah, sometimes this is presented as a policy invented in Washington. In fact, you could argue it was invented in in Beijing because China's been following a policy of of, of self sufficiency and and uh, developing it and protecting its own uh, technological champions and and other companies for some time now. Um, and I think it is sensible um, to de risk to reduce dependencies. Uh, I think a major um, breach in economic relations would be hugely damaging. Um, hopefully, we won't reach that point, and it's more a case of us looking at ways of reducing risk, reducing dependencies, uh, which I think is an, an enormously sensible thing to be doing. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Now, Ian, one big risk that is looming is in the United States, where... The very idea of democracy is uh, under severe threat, in my view. Uh, I'd be interested in your view. The possibility, given the weakness of President Biden's poll numbers and indeed his physical, his obvious physical frailty to some extent, although on this uh, business with Russia, I think he's been a superb a galvanizer of NATO and Europe, indeed, and has done his stuff. And the possibility of a Trump presidency in 2024 autumn of, and of course, if not that, a DeSantis 
presidency, the possibility of American isolationism and America first policies. How big a danger is that when you look at the global situation and particularly at the China-Russia thing we've been talking about? I think it is a danger, and I think it's a profound danger. I think it's something which haunts the chancelleries of Europe. Um, yes. The, the prospect of American isolationism, of the return of a highly unpredictable and capricious Donald Trump as, as president. Um, Europe is clearly trying to position itself so it has or appears to have a more independent security policy, which perhaps could um, outlive a, a change of administration in the States. But I think that's wishful thinking. I think essentially at this point, whatever Europe does, uh, America is still the essential backstop. It's America which drives Western security yes. policy. And I think it's wishful thinking on the part of Brussels or other European capitals that they can sustain a separate security yes. policy, whether that's towards Russia or towards China. And it is, you know, it's it's the nightmare they all have, uh, the, the, yes. a, a change of administration, uh, uh, the U.S. reverting to isolationism, um, turning its back on policy uh, towards Ukraine and, and towards China, although being Trump, of course, it's, it's very difficult to predict exactly what would happen. Um, and, uh, we shouldn't forget that uh, after initially courting Xi Jinping and saying how like-minded he was and how he admired strong leaders, uh, Trump, of course, uh, initiated the uh, the cooling of relations with China and the first round of of, of tariffs. Um, but no, it, it it is it is a it is a concern. It's a concern, I think, in Western capitals, and clearly there will be calculations in Moscow and in Beijing as they look forward. And, and, and plan yes. policy in, in, in the months ahead, they, they will be thinking, well, what do we do now um, in light of the possibility of a radical change um, next in, in, in less than two years? Yes, and just a final thought in historical terms about the confluence here of factors, one of them being that America has spent so much in what they call blood and treasure, if you go back to Vietnam, certainly to Iraq, Afghanistan, and the humiliation of Afghanistan, the withdrawal of, from Afghanistan, which was overseen by the Biden administration. Um, when you t think of that, and you also think of Putin's invasion of Ukraine, his appalling uh, persecution of someone like Navalny, and then when you think of China, and Taiwan. There is a confluence of things in that equation, is there, I ask, rather than asserting, if you see that same picture. I think, I would, I would like to think that US policy, as it's evolving, particularly uh, as we've seen it towards Ukraine, but as we're now seeing it towards China, is smarter than we've seen before and has yes. taken account of a lot of those issues, uh, those painful, more recent historic experiences. You look at the way that they are alliance building uh, in the Far East, for instance, through a, a network of different groupings, uh, a lot of them quite informal. 
You look at the way, for instance, the agreement with the Philippines, which is not for bases as such. It's about um, having places which can be used if they need them. Um, there, it's all about mobility and preparedness. I think there's a lot of thought that's gone into a lot of policy towards China, towards Taiwan, uh, the assembly uh, of the different democratic countries uh, to oppose Russia in Ukraine. To me, it seems better thought out and more uh, and smarter than we've seen before, and perhaps learning from some of the historic mistakes that have taken place before, uh, informal alliances, more economic cooperation to, to, to build influence with countries which perhaps previously saw China as the, uh, the, the gift that kept giving in terms of money, yes. the, the BRI. So I'm, I'm relatively optimistic that we're seeing a fairly smart policy, but you know, who knows whether that will survive the next US election? Yes. And that, and that really, I suppose, is the, is the, the big, big, question. But uh, uh, I, I might add, though, as well, Eamon, there's a couple of interesting things which uh, which I thought would be quite upset, well, potentially, had this meeting not taken place in Beijing, that could have further upset US-China relations. It's, it's interesting, we know that the FBI has done, uh, has, has been poking around, has been taking to pieces all the equipment they took from the spy balloon. Yes. Yes, uh, and they have a report on that equipment, and the the reports I've been hearing is that as they were haggling over Blinken's meeting in in Beijing, the Chinese were very worried that the FBI would release this report um, yes. because it was potentially quite embarrassing. There was a lot of kit on that balloon which you don't have on a weather balloon. Um, would it be fair to, would it be fair to say and uh, there was a lot of stuff in Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort that the Chinese might have been rather interested in uh, about America's uh, various plans in the events of certain yeah. things happening absolutely but they seem to have parked that for the moment which is which is significant and of course the uh, the reports about uh, Chinese facilities in Cuba have been somewhat played down as well which Yes, which suggests to me that they're keen at the moment to keep this on on an even keel to build on what's been achieved in Beijing at the moment. And uh, you know, previously, both of these issues might have been far more significant. Okay, and a small bit of good news from China. Uh, we're very grateful to you for joining us. I understand Ian Williams is a multi award winning uh, journalist of vast experience. His new book, The Fire of the Dragon. China's new Cold War is on the shortlist for the Orwell Prize. And uh, if you want something to read that is deeply absorbing and very intelligent and well-written, I suggest you get it. We're grateful to Ian, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.